0: For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable On these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, All the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues, All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. We'll pray. Lord, we again just come to you as, as the author here of what you have written, and Lord, as the one who is our teacher, and that you would instruct us and guide us into truth, and that our hearts, Lord, would embrace by faith all that you have read, written and all that you want to say to us, Lord, that we would know you, God, and walk before you in spirit and in truth, giving you the worship and the honor and the glory, God, that you're worthy of. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, one announcement that didn't um, make it into the bulletin, um, we talked about having um, a regular Sunday um, where we will have a, a baby dedication. And that um, we'll, we're going to plan on making that a... Um, a custom um, that we will do it on Sanctity of Life Sunday each year, and that this year is January 20th. So if, if any of you have a a child that you would like to be a part of that dedication service, please talk to me about it. Um, and then on the 20th, which is in two Sundays, we'll plan on doing that. We'll make the announcement again next week. And if you know of others that aren't here or can't be here in the next couple of weeks, but they might be interested, let them know, or let me know, um, and we can plan on that if you just haven't have questions about it, um, talk to me about it and and we can talk about that well it's been three Sundays now since we were in um, first Corinthians, and the last time we we're in this first paragraph of first Corinthians twelve, which is about spiritual gifts and as with a lot of things, the Corinthians have getting things wrong and um And the big reason for that is because there seems to be such a focus within this church on self, and 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 the reason that the spiritual gifts are being abused is because they are being attracted to particular gifts because of how it they seem to elevate self, and so Paul's having as he is all through this letter, having to bring them back to to a a place of humility, death to self understanding the nature of the of the message of the cross is that of, of dying to self and not self-exaltation. And so he has to say, I've got to talk to you about spiritual gifts. And it's not as complicated and mysterious as we sometimes make it to be. And the first thing that he said right out of the box here is that, that the reason God has given spiritual gifts, as everything else that God has done, is that Jesus Christ would be exalted. And so the gifts are not about the gifts. The gifts are not about the Holy Spirit. The gifts are to be a manifestation of the presence of the Spirit, and the Spirit himself is always bringing attention to Jesus and not to himself. And so whenever anything is taking place in a church and the focus is something other than Christ— or we're becoming known personally, individually, or corporately as a body for something other than Christ, we're off the rails because the Spirit is always going to exalt Christ. That was the first and main point that he makes about spiritual gifts. Churches should not be characterized by an emphasis on spiritual gifts. Churches ought to be about Jesus Christ, not the gifts. I made the point that if you don't even know what your gift is that you could still see your gift manifest and exercised in your life because if you simply live in a yielded place of obedience to Christ, abiding in Christ, then, then then Jesus is going to have that gift manifest through you. The Spirit of God is free. He's not being grieved. He's not being quenched. And even if you don't know what your gift is, as long as you're not quenching the Spirit, grieving the Spirit, then the Spirit is going to be free to manifest that gift in and through you without you even necessarily knowing what it is. The best way to know your gift is probably not by taking a spiritual gifts test, but simply living in Christ and fellowshipping with the body of Christ. And the body of Christ over a period of time is going to affirm to you what, how God has gifted you. you. And a second thing is that it seems that, that that one spiritual gift that God has given you is something that is probably going to be motivating you throughout your life. So a person with the gift of evangelism is is not only going to be personally motivated to evangelize, but he wants everybody around him to be sharing Christ more than what they are. The person with the gift of administration wants everybody to get their lives together, to get better organized than what they are. Somebody with the gift of helps wants everybody to be serving and helping more than whatever they're serving and helping. You're, You're motivated to even motivate others in accordance with how you're gifted. So where are you prone to criticize people? You're probably, that is the area of your spiritual gifting. And, um, and that's something that's going to constantly be at work in your life. The one thing, again, that Paul so stressed in this first part of the, of the chapter is that even though there are a variety of gifts, there is one Spirit, one Lord, one God, and the gifts are not mean, meant to be divisive, but rather to unify one Lord, one spirit, one God. So there, and so if the effect of the gifts is division, then something is wrong with how we're living because the one Lord, one God, one spirit did not give the gifts in order to, to promote divisiveness, but rather (laughs) unity. And even though there is unity There is diversity, and that is not a contradiction. That is, everything in this world speaks of both diversity and unity. And so the one Lord, one God, one Spirit has given a variety of gifts which have a variety of ministries, which have a variety of effects, and we are not in control of those things. The Spirit of God is. God himself is. So having said those things... The last thing that Paul said in that paragraph, verse 11, is that the Spirit, the same Spirit, works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. How do you get a spiritual gift? Well, first you you place your faith in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. And the one who has come to indwell you gifts you. And that gift is a manifestation of the reality of his indwelling presence. He determines what gift to give you. It may be in keeping with your personality. So some children, from the time that they're have their little room, and they have all, all of their toys, you can walk in that room, and you're going, this is a three-year-old, and yet all of his toys are organized by color, by shape, by, by sound, whatever. And you go, wow, what is wrong with this child? And you go, <laughs> and any other child, you walk in the room, and that playroom just looks like a disaster. But some children seem like from birth, they are organized and gifted with administration. And then they receive Christ, and they are still organized and gifted with administration. Now, I'm not saying they had a spiritual gift before they were saved, but there was was, um, an ability, a propensity that was in them from birth. And many times it seems the spiritual gift that God gives you is in keeping with that birth propensity that you had, but not always. And be, but because it is so often like that, that's one of the reasons I think it's hard to know what your spiritual gift is. Because the gifting can be in keeping with how you're, you were born, how you were put together from birth. And other times, they're not even close. My favorite way to spend a day is usually by myself. And, and you know, I am happy sitting in a deer blind. And not talking to anybody for hours at a time. I can drive across the country and never turn the radio on. And just be happy, as can be. Just me and Jesus. And sometimes it's just me. You know, and, and, and that's okay. And so here, here you know, I remember the, 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 the most terrifying class I ever had in school was speech class. Man, alive! I mean, just, just, how? why, you know, can't I just skip, just die for one semester and then come back again or something? I, and, I, and, I, and I remember, you know, I, I had to take this speech class, I think it was 7th grade or 8th grade or something, and, I, and, it, and, and, they, and they gave the assignment, and, and, I, and I went home, and all I can think of is, is tomorrow I die? And, and, I, and I sat down on the couch, and my dad came in. I'd been sitting there for an hour or more before he came home, and, and, and he says, what's going on? And I can't even talk. And he sat down next to me, and he said, well, what's the deal? I go, speech. i got to give a speech tomorrow. And he goes, really? He goes, well, how long does it have to be? And I said, three minutes. Might as well have been three hours. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, well, that's no big deal. That's easy for you to say. And and he goes, well, what does it have to be about? And I said, anything I like. And he goes, well, what do you like? And I said, nothing. (laughs) So my dad wrote out a speech for me. You know, just three points, basically. And and I went to school the next day, and I stood there, and I gave my dad's speech. And now I'm a preacher. (laughs) My point is that... I am, it is not my natural birth inclination to talk, to be in front of people, to have people looking at me all at the same time. <laughs> There's nothing in me that likes that. And yet that appears to be where God has gifted me. And that's helped me because I, it reminds me every single time I have to talk, I can't do this. This is not what I would choose for myself, and yet there's something in me at the same time that I know this is what the Lord is doing, and I I, I yield to that and say yes to the Lord with it. And so sometimes it's in keeping with our just way we've been born. Sometimes the spiritual gift isn't. That's the Spirit's determination. The Spirit determines how to gift us. We don't even need to pray about it. Because before you even knew that there was a spiritual gift, the Spirit already did it. He gave you a spiritual gift. Now, he's going to say four times. This was the first of four times. The Spirit determines your spiritual gift. Okay, look down at verse 18. Now, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Second time. Look at verse 24, whereas our seemly members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. And now the fourth time, verse 28, and God has appointed in the church. So four times here in this chapter, that's obviously an emphasis. Paul is saying God determines your spiritual gift. You don't. Why does he need to say that to the Corinthians? Because everybody in this church is wanting to speak in tongues. And we'll have more to say about tongues when we get to chapter 14. But Paul's going, what are you doing? Why are you seeking after tongues when it is God who determines the gift? And if you didn't get tongues when you got saved, then why are you wanting to speak in tongues now? Well, I can tell you why, Paul would say. Is because you think tongues is the most spectacular, the most sensational, the most self-affirming of all the gifts. And tongues isn't a category by itself, as we'll see in chapter 14. He says, every other gift, the entire body, is edified. But with tongues, the only person edified is the person who is speaking in tongues. You see the Corinthian problem? It's like, I don't even care if anybody else gets edified. All I care about is that I get edified and that it looks like I'm doing something really spectacular and sensational. So Paul's going to have to say to them, let me tell you, what are the most important gifts? Now, every gift is important. It's like, and he's going to get into this. He says, like, which is more important, the, 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 the feet or the eyes? Well, you need both. You know, you need both. And so every member of the body is needed. But if you would have to organize the list of gifts and say, which is at the top of the list? And Paul does that in this chapter. He says apostles first. And then he says, and this is in verse 28. Then he says second prophets and third teachers. And then he goes down the list from there. Why would you have to say that? In this church... It has become more important, it appears to them, that you are more spiritual when you are talking in a tongue that no one can understand than if you are talking in a tongue that everybody can understand, which is what apostles and prophets and teachers do. And he said, those gifts are at the top of the list. Those are the gifts that the entire body is edified as well as the other gifts. When it comes to tongues, only the person speaking in tongues is edified. You've got the whole thing reversed here. Okay? So I've jumped ahead a bit, but I wanted us to see that that the real big emphasis here in this chapter is God determines the gifts. And we need to put the focus on where God puts the focus. And if the focus that God has put in your life is serving, then why are you wanting some other gift? God said, this body needs the gift of serving. God made that determination. So we need to accept what God has determined. Now, if you know your Bibles, you understand that there are a couple of places, without going off on too much of a rabbit trail, where it seems to speak of praying for or seeking after a gift that we don't have. Even here, it's going to say in verse 31, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love, yet desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. Now, I'll I'll get into this more. But just an introductory thought. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. He's just told us what the greater gifts are. Apostle, prophet, teacher. I don't think, personally, that Paul is saying, having said four times, the Spirit determines the gifts. I don't think Paul now is contradicting what he just said and said you should want something other than what the Spirit has given. I believe what he's saying is you should want your church to be characterized. If it's going to be characterized by gifts, it ought to be characterized by the greater gifts, not the lesser gifts. And then he's going to say, but that's not even the main point. But it's love is what should characterize the church. But among the, but concerning gifts, if a church is going to be characterized by spiritual gifts, it ought to be characterized by the greater of the gifts and not the least of the gifts, which would seem to be tongues. I believe that's what he's saying. So he says, earnestly desire, he's saying, for the church, not for you individually, but for the church corporately, is what I believe he's talking about. Now, I want you to consider a couple other passages briefly. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 11. For I long to see you, Paul says, in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. Paul. Okay, I know, you know, I, which came first? You know, Romans or 1 Corinthians? I don't know. Nobody knows for sure on these things. Okay, but this we know. Paul knows. God determines the gifts. And that determination is made at the point that you are saved. So now Paul's saying, I want to come and see you, Romans, so that I can give you a spiritual gift. Keep reading. I long to see you in an order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. Then he begins to explain himself, that you may be established. Now verse 12, that is, so now this is an explanation verse, that, what do I mean by giving you a spiritual gift? That is, that I may be encouraged, that, that I may be encouraged together with you. So now we have reciprocity, we have a reciprocal relationship here. While among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Barnabas was said to have had the gift of encouragement, right? Giving encouragement to a person is to give them a gift. We would all agree with that. Man, every time I'm with that guy, I feel encouraged. What a gift, right? So Paul's saying, I want to come to you. In order to impart a spiritual gift to you. But this is what I mean. I want to come to you and I want to get encouraged. And I also want to encourage you. So this isn't Paul just simply giving gifts. Paul is saying I need to receive a gift. And it's not just the apostle from on high. Who is showering down on these underlings spiritual gifts. But the apostle saying I need to receive a spiritual gift from you as well. There's a two way street here. And it's just simply talking about the gift of encouragement. I want my faith to be encouraged. I want your faith to be encouraged by our time together. And so it's nothing more than that. Now go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy, um, we don't know what his gifting was, but probably it was either teaching or pastoring. And that was observed in this young man early on after his conversion, that God had gifted him as a pastor or as a teacher. But, and I can identify with Timothy here, as I've already shared, he was not by personality a leader type of person. He was not personally by birth gifted to be a teacher or a pastor. His spiritual gift was not consistent with his personality or even his physical constitution. He was often weak, he didn't travel well, he was his stomach had problems, and and the guy just didn't do well. He was timid, he didn't face criticism well. And so the church comes around him as they send him out on this itinerant ministry, which had to be extremely intimidating and daunting for this timid man. And the church gathers around him and they're going, we see a man who's gifted as a teacher or as a pastor, but we also see a man who is unable to travel, who is unable to face criticism, who's unable To to refute and to correct those people who stand in opposition. And so the church gathers around him and they prayed for him. They laid their hands on him. And they said, God, give this man the grace that he needs for the gifting that you've given him. And so he says, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I believe that what Paul is saying is that Paul didn't give this man the gift that only the Spirit of God can give, and which he gives at the moment that we receive Christ. I think what Paul's is saying is God gives grace throughout our lives. We all know this. My gifting, I don't, you know, I'm going, what is my gifting? I'm I'm going to be the most ungifted person. I'm going, God, with all that you've brought into my life, I am not gifted as an administrator. I am not gifted as a counselor. I am not gifted as a leader. I am not, you know, I just go down the list. And yet I need grace for every one of those areas. So my thinking is God gives a gift to every Christian the moment that he's saved. But throughout our lives God continues to give grace for whatever it is that we need at that time. And that grace can be called a gift. So you have one motivational, spirit-given gift that is with you from the moment that you are saved to the moment that you die, is my thinking of what Paul's saying. But throughout your life, you're going to find God gracing you, enabling you for the various circumstances of life where you find yourself placed by God. And where you are not supposed to be, you will not find God's grace. And that's one that, see, that's been, we understand that. Sometimes, how do we, is this where I'm supposed to be? Well, why do you think you're not supposed to be there? Because I am not knowing God's grace for anything that I do. Well, that might be a pretty good reason you're not supposed to be there. Because God will enable you. God will grace you for where God has placed you. That's what they're saying here to Timothy. Timothy, you're obviously a pastor-teacher kind of guy. But you're obviously weak and timid and easily intimidated. And you have constitutional problems. And they're going, man, we need to pray for this guy. And I think they prayed for God's enabling. They prayed for God's grace for a gifted man. And I think that's how the body should function. We recognize God's gifts But at the same time, we recognize they can't function in their own, and they never should try. And so we stand together as a body, and we pray for God's enabling grace for each other. And we do this all the time. Every time one of us goes through a trial, basically what we're doing is saying, God, give them your enabling grace for what they're going through. And I think that's what Paul did with Timothy as well as the church that prayed for him. Now back to 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And this is amazing. Because if you read through slowly and carefully what Paul's saying, you would not expect the last word in that verse to be Christ, but you would expect it to be church. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, our physical body, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is the church. Because the church is the body of Christ, right? But it doesn't say church. It says Christ. That's powerful. So when you divide the church over spiritual gifts or anything else. You are dividing Christ. That goes back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul speaks about all those divisions, and he says, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? He's not saying the church is Christ. But he's saying the relationship and the identity between between Christ and his body is so tight that you could... You can almost say the church is Christ. but it is not. But that relationship, you can't separate Christ from the church without killing the church. The church exists because of Christ. And Christ, remember when Paul, and this would have been, I'm sure, ringing in Paul's mind as he wrote these verses. When Paul was on the road to Damascus, and that vision, that light from heaven shone down on him, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? No. Why are you persecuting me? Paul had no idea he was persecuting Christ by persecuting Christians. And Jesus goes, when you persecute Christians, you're persecuting me. Because of that oneness, that identity of relationship that's there. Remember Paul said in chapter 11, judge the body rightly. And I think he's talking about the body of Christ the church. And then you start messing with the body of Christ and bringing division and discord disunity into the body of Christ you better beware because you are dividing Christ. So this is a powerful statement here that he says so where we would expect him to say church. He doesn't say church. He says so is Christ. One body many members. Now verse 13 is a bit of a problem. Because of that little bitty preposition, by. For by one Spirit, you were all baptized. Now, why is that a problem? Because there is no other place in the New Testament where the Spirit is ever the agent of baptizing. In other words, the Spirit never baptizes anybody, anytime, anywhere. Anywhere else in the New Testament. Everywhere else in the New Testament... We are baptized in the Spirit or with the Spirit, but it is never said we are baptized by the Spirit. Now, that seems like a maybe cutting, hair, you know, splitting hairs, but it's an important point. Because the charismatic element of the church wants to ask you, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And what they usually mean by that is, have you received the second blessing and are you speaking in tongues? Okay? And that that doctrine really hinges on that preposition, the Greek word that's there. And that little Greek preposition can be translated any one of three ways. In, with, or by. And when we make it by, that is the only place in the New Testament where the Spirit is baptizing anyone. Everywhere else in the Bible, this is throughout the Gospels, for example, John the Baptist will say, I baptize you with water. Coming after me is one greater than I, who will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. Get it? So Jesus says, and this is the same thing in Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, wait here in Jerusalem until you are baptized by the Spirit. No, baptized with the Spirit. It is consistently Jesus does the baptizing. And Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. And when does he do that? The moment that you're saved. So in Acts chapter 11, I believe it is, where, where Peter is gone and he's talked to Cornelius and his household, and then they, they all receive the Holy Spirit right while he's talking, and he has to give an explanation for himself, and he explains to the people in Jerusalem, he says, who am I to oppose what God did? He says, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit in the same way we were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and as the moment they were saved. So, this preposition here, Literally ought to be you are baptized in the spirit or you are baptized with the spirit and it should not be by the spirit. It cannot mean agency in this context. There is no other place where the spirit is the agent of baptism. Christ always is. The spirit is always the sphere or the medium in which we are baptized. So here are the points. Seven points very quickly. Number one, we were all baptized in one spirit into one body. Number two, all Christians have been baptized in one spirit. Not some Christians, all Christians. Number three, all Christians have been baptized into one body. All baptized into one spirit, all baptized into one body. Number four, no one has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Number five, no Christian has not been baptized in the Spirit. So you see those important distinctions there. No person has been baptized by the Holy Spirit, and there is no Christian who has not been baptized in the Spirit. Baptism in the Spirit happens at conversion. And there is never any mention in Scripture of a second baptism. There is one baptism, one Lord, one faith. And that baptism in the Spirit, with the Spirit, takes place at the moment that you receive Christ. So that if you do not have the Spirit, then you're not saved. Romans chapter 8. He who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. This was such an important issue that when Paul came to Ephesus for the first time and he met some people there, and he says, are you guys, he didn't say, are you Christians? He says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they go, we don't know what you're talking about. We've never heard of the Holy Spirit. And he goes, then what were you baptized into? And he says, we, they said, we were baptized into Moses. And they go, well, Moses can't do anything for you. And so Paul explains to them the gospel, the full gospel, that it's Jesus Christ, not Moses. Or John's baptism, I'm sorry. We were baptized into John. He says, John did, can't save you. John preached a message of repentance But you have to place your faith in Christ. And as they heard the gospel and placed their faith in Christ, then they were at that moment baptized with the Holy Spirit. Nobody gets baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's an important distinction to make. So, what's his main point? Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member but many. Okay? Now look at verse 20. But now there are many members, but one body. I wish those two verses had come together, but Paul had a lot of stuff that needed to be said in between. Okay? Maybe you put those two verses together, 14 and 20, and you have, trying to find, verse 14, the one body is many members. Verse 20, the many members are one body. That's all he's saying. The one body has many members. And the many members are one body. Both sides of that equation are absolutely important. The one body has many members. In other words, there should not be one gift only. The one body has many members. There is great diversity to the body. How many gifts are there? I don't think the Bible tells us. I mean, most people don't think the list of gifts, the four lists of of gifts in the New Testament are comprehensive. I just read J. Vernon McGee, and he thinks there are hundreds, maybe thousands of spiritual gifts. I've never heard anybody say that many. Maybe he's right. We don't know. But what we do know is the one body has many members. And he's not talking about people here. He's talking about gifts. Okay? And the many members... Are one body. One body. So there ought to be diversity and there ought to be unity. Now, what makes a church a church is another whole topic in itself. At the very basic, it is simply faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we all know, you know, I, I, you know we look at campus college ministries and, and they sometimes will say, This is our church. And you go, well, everybody here is 18 to 25 years old. How is that a church? In other words, there's no diversity. And another time, you know, it, it may be everybody is of the same education level, financial status. Another time, everybody is of the same age group. Everybody's old or everybody's young. And, you, and, we, and I hear that all the time. I don't visit many, people, many churches, but people tell me, everybody in that church is under 30. Everybody in that church is over 60. You know, and there's no, and so what's the problem? What's, can we instinctively understand there ought to be diversity. But when it comes down to it, the greatest diversity of the church is not supposed to be on age or money or race or any of that, but is the diversity that God gives. Because, see, even if it was all the same sex, all the same race, all the same education, there would still be great diversity because God is making sure there's diversity. It is God's purposed intent, his ambition that no church be monolithic, that there be great diversity in every body. We should want that. We should appreciate that. So if we all, every one of us were born in Bernie, Texas, died in Bernie, Texas, spent our whole life in Bernie, Texas, and we go, man, we have so much in common, and yet when we come together as a body of Christ, we go, how could we be more different? Because the Spirit of God has given different gifts as the Spirit has determined that body needs. And it's a blessed thing. And then much of this chapter, Paul simply talks about how vital each member is. We all, we, everybody needs hands. Everybody Needs eyes, it needs feet. Every single gifting that God has given is important. We can wrestle and debate about again which are the most important and which are not. Paul, in this context, he emphasizes, we said, apostles, prophets, teachers. But he's not de emphasizing the other gifts. And if you just look, I mean, again, as the Spirit. Distributes gifts. Typically, in most churches, I think it'd be fair to say, are, the gifting is heavily weighted towards service giftings, things like helps, mercy, things like that. Service, mercy, and if you were to take a spiritual gift test, most of the time that's where it comes out. So, in God's wisdom, in God's sovereignty, is said most churches need to be top heavy. Not with leadership gifts, but with those practical, daily ministry gifts of service and helps. Why? Well, think about it. What is the one thing that every individual Christian and the church is to be known for? Love. By this they will know that you are my disciples. By your love for one another. Well, how many teachers do we need then? Not they will be, you will be known for your teaching. Not you will be known for your organization ability. But you will be known for your love. And where is love most practically, typically expressed? In how we help one another. Serve one another. Come alongside each other when there's needs. And so how important is the gift of mercy? How important is the gift of helps? It is vitally important for Christ to be known as the one who is loved, and who is expressing himself in love, and that's why chapter 13 coming up, which is about love. So maybe you say, well, I'm not an I. I'm not, a, I'm not a whatever. And God would say, in my wisdom, I made you exactly the way that that body needs. I gave you this gift, because I knew this is what I needed to express myself in that congregation. Maybe there's a gift of intercession, gift of praying, which never comes to anybody's attention. You don't think a church needs prayer warriors? My word, we do. Maybe there's a gift of doing the food at a funeral or at a baby shower. You don't think the church needs that? absolutely remember that lady widow lady apparently in the book of acts that died unexpectedly and everybody just comes to paul with all the things that she had made you know just these things that she had knitted and they go paul this woman was so vital to us what did she do she made stuff for people and they said we need this woman in our in our fellowship and god used paul to raise her back to life We get it often so backwards of what the church needs. And I think if we just come back to the spirit of God and say, God, what have you done? Then we can see what the church needs. Because God doesn't give many gifts of leadership, many gifts of teaching. But he gives a lot of gifting, it would seem. And those gifts that most readily express love. Serving, helping, mercy. We need these things. And they are every bit as vital as any of the other gifts. Jay Vernon McGee loves some of the things he says in his commentaries. And he said he, he um, injured a foot one time. And he went to the doctor and said, Doctor, how many bones are in, my, are in, are in, a, in a foot, in a human foot? And I believe it was 27. It's 21 or 27. I think it was 27. And J. Vernon McGee says, I think I broke all of them. And the doctor said, no, you only broke, you only broke one. But it sure feels like it when you, you broke all of them, doesn't it? You break one bone in your foot. Man, your whole body hurts. When one member suffers, they all suffer. When one member is honored, all the members suffer. Rejoice with it. We need each other. There are no one-member churches. There are no churches with only one gift. We need each other, and we need the gifting God has given each one of us. It's vitally important. No person should ever think, that church doesn't need me. Every person is needed. Every gifting is needed. Nor should any person think that church couldn't live without me. Because it's Jesus, the giver of the gifts that we need most of all, And just as we see people that come into a fellowship and we go, man, how did we ever go on without them? And then they leave. Or they die. And we go, how are we going to continue on? And we see the Lord's supply. And God raises up he makes, brings to our attention gifts that we didn't even know were in the body. Or he brings other people into the body with the gifting that the church needs. It's his body. His church. And we don't need to be focused on all these gifts. But we do, do need to appreciate that there's no person in the body of Christ that is not of great significance to the body. And the Spirit of God knew what he was doing when he gave us the gifts that he gave us. I'll close us in prayer. Father, again, thank you for the encouragement of your word. And it's clear, God, here that the attention is to be on you and what you have done and not on what we would wish you had done. And I pray, Father, that we would be thankful for how you have gifted us, that we would recognize and, and believe, Lord, that you have gifted us and that in our submission to you that we would would give you the freedom, Lord, to express yourself through us in any way that you would choose and not limit you to a spiritual gift, but particularly, God, to give you the freedom to operate through us in that area where you have gifted us. Thank you, God, for your wisdom, for your care over your body. And I do pray, Lord, that we would increasingly throughout our lives, as we love you, that we would also love the church, your body, and we would see how you identify yourself so completely with the body and that we would cherish it and seek seek its good and its edification, even as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.